great time hanging out with them uh, afterwards in the uh, in the fellowship hall. Hope you can make that potluck. If you didn't think about it or you forgot about it, you're still welcome to come. There should be plenty of food there. Uh, at least for sure come come here and, and just participate with the church family. Uh, we are finishing up our series in Ruth today. Before we do that, I wanted just to make a quick mention about a few things uh, kind of coming up. Um, one of the things is on April 7th, we are going to get the opportunity as a church uh, and bring your friends if you want to participate in a, a Seder dinner. And what that is, it's the, the Jewish Passover meal that is presented. Actually, we have, we have representatives from Jews for Jesus coming to our church to facilitate this. And this speaker is going to present the Seder dinner. We are going to be able to bring a potluck dish. They're going to give us some recipes and some ideas to kind of go along with the theme. But then we'll have the elements there of the, of the Passover dinner, the Seder. And, and this pres presenter will go through that and, and tie it in and show us how, how richly the Passover meal, this traditional meal of a Jewish family, how it so richly ties in and points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate lamb who was slain for us. So I, I'm excited about that. We, we did one in our youth ministry probably 15 years ago uh, at the Holst House, and it was, it was rich then. And I, just, I remember just looking at this saying, how could someone not see Jesus in this and not see the amazing provision, how God has set this up and just fr from forever to forever, right, that enduring love of, of, his, uh, of his love for us and, and presenting ultimately Christ and that lamb that was slain. So mark that on your calendars. It'll be a 5 p.m. Uh, start time, probably 5 to 7 on April 7th. That's a Sunday night uh, here at the church. We want a whole family to come out and be a part of it, a potluck and, uh, and Seder presentation, okay? Uh, I say that now to get you excited because I'm really excited about that, and, and my family and I actually get the opportunity to go on vacation for a couple weeks, so we're going to be leaving on Friday and heading up to Montana where there's more snow. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just, you know, right? Yeah, have fun. It'll be great. It's going to be great. We're going to be in Montana with my family. Um, we normally go in the spring or summer, but um, spring break, it just happened to be this, this time. So we're going to be gone, but uh, during that time, you're also going to hear from uh, Hoyt. Hoyt will be preaching next week. Uh, and following that, then Jay Ballard from uh, the Reno area is going to be coming over. He used to be our association missionary here in uh, Northern California, and you've heard from him before. He's a high-wire, high energetic guy, a uh, really fun guy, but he'll, he'll present God's Word that second week. Uh, then I'll be back with you at the end of this month. So uh, be praying for our family as we head out, just for refreshment and rejuvenation, uh, even though there's going to be icy snow <laughs> in my parents' backyard. So it's pretty crazy. Um, I think that's it. So be excited about Seder as well. We'll, we'll spread that word. We'll get more details to you in the weeks to follow um, as, we, as we develop those. All right, so we're in Ruth. This is our last one in Ruth. All right. It's been so much fun. I, I always hate an, a book coming to an end, and uh, I originally thought last week would be the end, but I just didn't want to stop. So we're, we're doing it some more this week. Um, and actually today we've looked at, uh, you know, overarching, the, the, the book of Ruth, we see an overarching theme of God's hesed love for us, right? We've learned that word hesed. Um, I, I mentioned on our, the, the video update this week that I had someone ask, like, how is that spelled? I can't find it. And, you know, I spell it H-E-S-E-D, but it's pronounced differently. It actually is spelled in, like, a lot of the strong concordances, C-H-E-C-E-D. And it, it, when you say hesed, you're supposed to say it with a little bit of phlegm at the beginning. Chesed. Chesed, right? And it just ruins my voice, so you just say hesed. But that's how it's pronounced. Um, it, it is God's enduring, faithful love. And, and I, I hope you're getting this this picture, this well-rounded picture of God's love. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's not just, again, a once-and-done kind of thing. It is a continual, enduring love. And we, we really likened this in this series. We likened it to a parent's love for their child. You know, I was, I was talking to, to Alistair and Remy, and, and you know, Alistair was, was sharing after the fact. He's like, you kind of go into this baby thing wondering, like, am I really going to love it? You, and you, you, Before you have a baby, you call it it, don't you, right? Am I really going to love this baby? Am I, I mean, I see all these other parents who say, just wait till you have your own. You'll understand when you have your own. It, you know, the baby comes out even before that, right? And you're just like starting to endure inside towards this, this child. And, uh, and sure enough, that baby comes out. And what happens? Your heart just melts. And you have this affection for your child. And, and that, that affection starts and wells up in you. And, and as parents, we have this enduring, faithful love to our children that we want to see them grow. We want to rear them in the right direction. We want them, as, as Christ followers, we want them to know Christ and to, and to be, be known by Him, right? And to have this fullness as a person. Uh, that's what they want. we want our children to have. So we, we have this enduring love. And, and then as a parent, almost all of our life is spent, and the actions in our life are spent, trying to get our children to that point of, of realizing that, right? And understanding this. We're doing everything we can. We will do anything for you. And we know that. That's what we do as parents. Now, when we look at God, God's example is always far superior than our example. Amen? 
Like we are flawed beyond belief. He is not. So when we talk about him being our father and having a hesed love for us and enduring love for us, that means he has a love for us that is from forever to forever, that in he is willing to do anything that we would realize the promise and blessing of his covenant, namely the hope and joy we have in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's enduring love. And we see that love played out. So it's, it's this conduct or activity of God that is in line with his covenant blessing for us. And so we looked at this, this hesed, this deep, rich hesed, and there were several different aspects of it. We couldn't define it by one word, right? I'm going to say the, the definition one more time, the, the long explanation of it. Here's what hesed is. Hesed is God's faithful, loving, compassionate, loyal, grace-filled, covenantial, providing, redemptive, steadfast, and enduring love. And that's just a glimpse of how deep it is. That's, that's God's hesed love for us. And I think this hesed love is an overarching theme throughout all of Scripture. And you and I should, should do well to open our hearts to that and see the movement of God in our lives from forever to forever. That he, that he is there interjecting and being a part of our lives. We see it in the story of Ruth. We saw it played out in different characters, right? We started with Naomi and saw how God's love, his hesed love is providing and not only does it provide for our needs, that he takes care of our needs, he provides rest for our souls. He's there not to, not to leave anxiety and guilt and shame and fear on us, but to remove that because of the, the cross and what, is, what he provided, what he was going to provide through the cross and what he has provided for us through the cross in Jesus, that we'd have this hope and this peace that's found in him, that there's, we'd prov- and we'd have rest from that. So he'd provide rest. We saw that in Naomi. Then we looked at, uh, looked at Ruth, and we saw how God provides his grace to, to people who don't deserve, to a foreigner. It, Ruth was a Moabite woman. She wasn't of Israel. She wasn't of, of God's people. But God provides grace to draw people in. And you, for all of us that, we are, that are drawn into God's family, we were all at some point a foreigner or a stranger. And His grace draws us in, and we, we believe and trust in faith in Him, and we are saved. So He gives grace in this, in this hesed love. He also redeems. We saw this through Boaz. We saw not only the redemption of uh, Naomi and Ruth, we see God even redeeming, uh, doing a redeeming work in Boaz, this bachelor who's an older, older guy who maybe doesn't think he can, can quite have a family, but he, he ends up having a family and being blessed by that. And we saw God using Boaz and his faithfulness and, and as a noble man to, to love someone like Naomi and, lo- and love someone even deeper like Ruth with a redeeming, a redeeming quality. You see a, a gal like Ruth who, who came from the wrong side of the tracks, right? She was a foreigner, but she was welcomed in, and she, she was graced by Boaz, and, and she was, she was not probably, she's a widowed, or widower, right? She, uh, or a widow, she was a widow, and she lost her husband, right? And she, she lost her brother-in-law, she lost her father-in-law. She came from her own parents and her own gods and her own rituals and culture, and she came to Bethlehem to, to embrace Naomi and to embrace, embrace Yahweh, and she wanted this, this deeper relationship, and, and Boaz saw that, and Boaz, through God's power, was able to use that to redeem and say, listen, I, I know you, your life has been messed up, there have been mess, messes and shambles and scars and hurt, but God's ready to redeem. God's ready to make whole again. I mentioned last week that God takes our lives that happen to be these broken pieces, right? These broken pieces of glass, and he brings them up and he collects them and he makes this beautiful mosaic masterpiece out of our brokenness. And that's what God does. He takes beauty from ashes, doesn't he? That's, that's redemption. That's what it is. And I, I mentioned the definition of that was to buy back or to win back. That's what God's in the business of doing is winning us back, purchasing us back that we could have life and wholeness again, and that's his redemption. And then all of that culminated to last week, that because all of those things were done in accordance with his covenant, which is his blessing to us. And we, last week we talked about this blessing being the happily forever after. right? Not just the happily ever after, but the happily forever after. And we talked about both. We talked about the happily uh, ever after is that God does want to give us blessing and joy and hope right now. He wants to give us freedom and relieve a burden from our shoulders that we can live free because we're forgiven. doesn't mean our lives aren't going to be messy still or there aren't going to be bad circumstances in our lives, but we can still be living happily ever after because of his blessing and the joy he gives us. But more than that, it's not just about this life. An enduring love of God, again, is not from breath to death. The enduring love of God is from forever to forever. So happily ever after is not enough. God's, in God's hesed love for us, as he provides and redeems, he is all about our happily forever after. He wants us not only to have a joy that we find because of forgiveness in Christ today, he wants us to have a hope for a future with Christ tomorrow and forever. 
that that happily forever is where we're all headed. And that culminates that whole idea of hesed, action in accordance with God's covenant or his promise for the happily forever after. So today what we're going to do, I just felt there were some things in Ruth we could tidy up, kind of maybe clean up a little more than we, we did before and, uh, and mention. And there's a lot, of, a lot of other content you and I can study in that. So today's sermon is, is the appendices. It's the last portion of Ruth. We'll talk about a few different points. There's nothing here that really flows or makes any sense except by God's Holy Spirit. Uh, there's just some four things I want to pull out in this, all right? So let's pray, and we'll get into Ruth chapter 2. Father, thank you so much for your great love. You inspire us by your grace, and you inspire us by this hesed love that you give, for us, give to us, this enduring love that's from forever to forever. God, let us, let us just wrap ourselves up in your arms, that you are the faithful, good Father, and God, we can trust you. God, we want to just feel that enduring love every day, that it would motivate us and free us, that God, through it and by it, we would, we would not only be saved and rescued from our own sin and, and guaranteed heaven, but God, that we would overflow in the proclamation of your greatness to the world, that people would know you because of the hesed love you've shown for us. Open our hearts and minds now to your word. May, may you illuminate it for us, that, that we would be challenged and changed by it, that your Holy Spirit would would cause us to, to have conviction of our sin and we'd repent, God, and, and, and we ask that you'd restore us to yourself. God, that we would be whole, that we would be obedient followers of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. All right, so the appendices, you ready? The first thing I, I think we should mention that's worthy of mention is this, number one, there's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, man, you, you look at a book of Ruth, you look at the, the story, even the, the person of Ruth, and even this family, Elimelech, you know, Elimelech starts, starts off, he moves his family from Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he thinks, well, there's a famine here, we're going to move, we're going to go somewhere else, and as we go somewhere else, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll find greener pasture somewhere else, right? And we see later on that that was not the case. Actually, they moved, the family moved away, he took his family there, not a wise idea, he died. So now there's a widow, his wife, left with two sons, as they grow up, they marry two Moabite women. Not supposed to do that, right? They're intermixing culturally, religiously, it's not... It wasn't what God wanted them to do. You're being unequally yoked. This is not the priority of God. Well, it wasn't the priority of God to move there either, right? So he moves them there, and then those, they, they marry the Moabite women, and then just so happens they die. And now there's these two Moabite women with this mom, Naomi, who's lost her husband and her two sons. She's lost everything. You see, they left Bethlehem because they felt uncomfortable. They left Bethlehem because they, there was a famine, and they felt empty. But Scripture really says in that time is that she had left full and then Naomi returned, what? Empty, thinner, without. Without a husband, without two sons, she returned empty. Really a tough time. But you see, what happened here is, is Ruth, this, this unlikely person to, to enter into the story. You, you, think about this. Last week we talked about the big picture aspect of this, right? We talked about that, that we focus in sometimes so much on our hurt or so much on our pain or our circumstance that we can't really see the big picture. And it really takes, it takes a step in back a little bit and looking at the big picture of what's God doing, what's going on here. For God, what he, says, what he sees is this ultimate covenant promise that he wants us to enjoy. This covenant promise of forgiveness through Jesus, uh, that, he, that the Messiah will, will come, that he will rescue us from sin, and that we can have a hope in eternity with him forever. That's what he's going to promise us. Stepping back from that, how do we get the Messiah? Well, through the line, right? And there was, it was promised way back in Genesis that the Messiah would be born through the seed of this woman. And then we see the, the Abrahamic covenant. And then we eventually after this, we get the Davidic covenant. So we see that God is, in, God is ha, uh, preserving a lineage to produce the Messiah. And that's something that only God can do. So you take a step back and you see this, this crazy, just so happens kind of story. Isn't a just so happens kind of story at all, is it? It's a story of God's providence. So when I say that there's a chance, what I'm saying is God is orchestrating his own providence, his own divine will in our lives at every turn. And it's amazing. And, and, and we think we can say that, and I can give you a pep talk today, like, hey, wow, team, go, team, go. Believe in this divine providence of God. But what, what it takes first is us looking back and saying, well, let's look at the big picture of our own lives. Let's see how God showed up. Let's see what God did in our lives to get us where we are today. God showed up around every corner, didn't he? And that's what he does. So you look at this, the big picture here of Ruth. For us, we look at this, it just so happens. This is weird. This man, Elimelech, decides to move. He moves, and he shouldn't do that. He moves and takes his family to Moab. Just so happens it's Moab. I mean, that's the wrong side of the tracks. Why are you there? You shouldn't be there in the first place. God can even take bad decisions we make, right, and turn them for his good. And while they're there, he dies. Well, the, you think the mom would come home. Go, go back to Bethlehem. Take your boys back to their community. 
No, they decided to stay there. Maybe they met a couple cute girls beforehand. I don't know what happened, right? But we know that they got married, and they married Moabite women. It just so happens that these, these this Isra- Israelites, these, they come over to Moab. They said, well, yeah, we found these Moabites. We shouldn't marry them, but, but we're going to marry them. It just so happens. Now you think, okay, now legacy, maybe something God's doing something. So Malon and, and, and Ruth are going to, you know, grow up, grow old. And something redemptive is going to happen here. What happens? Malon dies. Kilion dies. So you have Orpah and Ruth now with Naomi. Naomi's like, I'm out of here. I'm finally, I, I get the picture, I get the point, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Bethlehem. Now, Ruth and Orpah had everything they needed in, in Moab. They had their family, and they had their friends, they had their culture, they had their community, they had their gods. But it just so happens that they said, you know what, we're going with you, Naomi. Naomi pleaded with them, said, oh, you better count the cost of this. It's, it may not be worth it to you. Well, eventually we see Orpah, she turns around and goes back to Moab. She says, you're right, I'm going back. But what does Ruth do? Ruth, who, who has everything going for her in Moab, should probably stay there, has seen something, and God has stirred something in her heart. She clings to Naomi. It just so happens she clings to Naomi. It just, happens, it just so happens she clings in that time, too, to Yahweh and says, he's going to be my God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to go with you. It's going to be weird. It's going to be hard, but I'm, I'm going back. I don't really know why. I can't say why, but I'm going. So she goes. And then she gets back home, and what we find here in Ruth chapter 2, uh, they get home, and, and they're going to go glean. In uh, verses 2 and 3, it says this. Ruth, the Moabite, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather grain behind someone I will find favor? Who does she want to go find or g- gather grain behind? Anybody. Flip a coin. Like, just, I want to go gather grain. So, as long as someone says yes and doesn't, like, growl at me, I'm going to go into that field. That's what she wants to do. Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. And I, I mentioned this in one of the earlier sermons. The, the text here actually says, by, by chance she chanced upon. I mean, you're talking the flip of a coin, right? I mean, it's like just by sheer odds. And, they, and it was said that way and written that way, just so you and I would know. It wasn't by chance. Because with God, there is a chance. It's called providence. It's called God providing for his people. You know, we have to understand that even more than you do and even more than I do, God wants his will done in our lives. Even more than we do, he wants it done in our lives. And God in his enduring love, big picture love, is going to orchestrate and do things and provide and, and, and steer us in those directions by his divine will. I mentioned this in, a, in an earlier series months ago. God never gets the address wrong. God never gets the address wrong. It just, I mean, look at this story. It just so happens that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And it wasn't just that she asked that day to go glean and she went out. It was all that stuff before that just so happened to happen to Ruth by chance. It's like getting struck by lightning every day. What are the odds of that? We're we're talking about divine intervention, aren't we? God providing something that was in accordance with his promise. He was, God was ready to provide the Messiah he had to get this, this line going, and Obed was going to happen. Not by chance, by divine providence. You know, the thing is about providence and not, God not getting the address wrong and divine appointments is that it may not always work out the way we want it to. But we have to trust that he is doing something for his glory and for our good. We're kind of narrow-minded sometimes, aren't we? I think it needs to be done a certain way. It looks a certain way. If it doesn't look that way, we're not, we're not into it. Really, we've got to open ourselves up and say, God, there is a chance. And where, where you come in, there's always a chance. We're, we're just going to go for it. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You can flip a coin all you want, but every decision comes from the Lord. That's pretty powerful. I'm not a, a gambler. I don't, I don't like go out and spend lots of money trying to win money, right? I told, I told Class 101 yesterday, like for entertainment, I, might, I'm, I went into a Texas Hold'em tournament one time, but I spent $50 to go to the movie theater with my family. Right? I'm not going to gamble my money away. It's not good stewardship. But I, and I tell people, I said, if you, if you want to, to try to win the mega millions, you don't need to buy 50 tickets. Right? You just need one. Because every lot that's cast is the Lord's anyway. Right? So we don't, I don't waste my money on that. Right? I don't, I don't try to beat the odds because the odds are really in God's favor all the time. God's going to do what he wants to do. Embracing, listen, embracing the providence of God means not just giving of yourself. Like, you know what, God, I, 
I get it. You're, you're big. You're, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're going to do some cool things. I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. And when it comes up, I'll give of myself. It's not just embracing the providence of God. is not just giving of yourself. It's giving all of yourself to him. Saying, God, whatever you want, I want to embrace the work that you might be up to. And see, that's the exciting part. Like we even saw in Ruth or Naomi last week where she got excited about this prospect of hearing that Boaz was the man that this field, that in the field that, she went, that Ruth went to glean, right? And, and she got excited. The wheels started turning. I couldn't imagine what she envisioned. Right? You, you, get, you get a mother and excited, in this case a mother-in-law, but really she's a mother now to Ruth. It's the only kid she has. And there's a prospect for a, for a, a husband for Ruth. I mean, the, the, the wedding tapestries, the orchestra, the flowers, she's envisioning it all, right? And see, we, it's okay to be excited about what God is going to do, what God might do. It doesn't mean he has to do it, but I want to have faith that he could. I don't want to trust that he might. So I want to be in that, that place because I'm going to be in his place in the right time. I just have to watch out for it and embrace that providence and say, God, I'm, I'm going to let you work here. I want to see what you might be up to. And see, if, if we're willing to, to give him all of us, and be, if we're willing to, to sit and watch and see and embrace what God might be up to, we are then going to be amazed at what he actually does, at what he actually does. But if we're closed off to that, it's like, I'll give a little bit of myself, but I really think this is how it should go. We're going to miss a lot of the providence of God. There is a chance. The next thing I want us to, to look at in here and just remember uh, from the book of Ruth is this. Number two, sometimes you're the answer to your own prayer. And I'm not trying to be a heretic saying God doesn't answer prayer. God answers prayer. But sometimes he's saying, why are you keep praying about that? You should do something about it. Right? Sometimes you and I are the answers to our own prayer. So there's this interaction between Boaz and Ruth that happens in the field. That it just so happened that he actually was there that day. By chance, right? And then verse 8, look at chapter 2, verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in any other field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. Uh, see which field they are harvesting in and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you? so that you would notice me, although I'm a foreigner. We talked in depth about that the other day. Like, like this, is, this is amazing. She is a foreigner, but she has had expressed faith in Yahweh. And, and the greatest thing about this with God is, is that when, when we express faith, we are, we are grafted into the family of God. There are no Jews or Gentiles, male or female. We are all the body of Christ when we have faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's an amazing thing. So she's no longer a foreigner, and he, and he sees that. Look what he says to her. Boaz answered, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. This amazing story, right? Amazing story. You're not a foreigner, Ruth. Get up off the ground. You're not a foreigner. You're a daughter. He actually says that to her. You're a daughter. But look what he says in verse 12. This is his prayer for her. He's an older man. He calls her daughter. He's not... I don't know how the age difference is, but it, it's, it's indicated here. He's, he's older and probably a little out of her marriage bracket at the time. There's a lot of other eligible bachelors that she could probably find comfort in and long life with, right? So he's kind of removed himself from that. But here's what he prays. Verse 12. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive the full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Because he's acknowledging in this prayer, you're, you're a daughter of the king. You're a daughter of Yahweh. And you have come to him for refuge. And, I, and, I, and he's praying, may God bless you in that. May God take care of you. May God give you what you need as far as your refuge is concerned. You know what he's praying for? He's praying for a, for a husband. Praying for redemption. Praying for protection there for Ruth. He's praying for that for her. He's heard her story. She, she's a woman of noble character. And, and, and he appreciates that so much. So he's going to serve in the best way possible. But he prays that prayer. He says, may the Lord reward you. I want God to take care of you. You know, here, here's the deal about God's redemption. God's redemption doesn't put up the same walls that we do. See, and, and here's what I mean by that. We sometimes pray, and we pray about something that's really important to us and near and dear to us, but, but we, we put a wall up and say, well, God could never really do it this way. So God, I'm just, I'm just shooting from the hip here, whatever, whatever it takes. And if we would just take that barrier down and understand that, that culture and our our world does not define the wisdom of God, we might see things in a different light. 
People will say, oh, that's not normal to do it that way. Well, is, does God always do something normal? Sometimes what is wise to God is foolish to the world. You know, when we have prayer, it's a prayer of faith, right? When we pray, we pray in faith. And what has to happen is our faith has to go deeper than just a prayer. Our prayer has to move into action, active faith. I'm not saying that Boaz was wrong to pray this. I think Boaz, in a heartbeat, and we see it later on, he would have redeemed Ruth right away. Like, yes, you're a person that's worthy. I would love to be that person, but I'm a little older. There's other people maybe that need to be in that position. But when she comes later on, we'll see it in a minute, he's, and she, she says, hey, I, I'd like this to be you. I'd like you to be the one that, that redeems this family. He jumps right on top and says, I'm, I'm going for it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm going to action. We're, we're going to go to the city gate, do the business, make sure I can redeem your family. I'm, I'm all over that. Let's get going. He, he's not passive. He takes action right away. He has this deep, deep faith. He doesn't just pray about it. He does something. James chapter 2 says this in verse 15. <clears throat> I want you to think about this connection between prayer or faith, right, and, and action. If a brother or sister was out without clothes and without daily food, and one of you says to them, here's the prayer, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. Right? I'm, I'll be praying for your warmth. I'll be praying for your stomach to, to be full. Okay, there's the prayer. James says, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is your prayer? What good is it? What good is it to pray those things if you're not ready to act and ready to do something about it? He says, in the same way, faith, our expression of trust in God, right? Our prayers to God, our hopes in God. In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works or action, is by itself dead. That, that, there, it means nothing. A faith without action means nothing. A prayer sent up saying, God, I hope you figure this out, okay, is a, is a passive standoff prayer. Listen, God is going to figure it out. He's God. What God wants to do is, is impact our heart and, and to let our hearts know that we can be part in partnering with God in His glory. And you and I have all kinds of opportunities with people around us in all kinds of circumstances and needs that we pray for that we may need to ask the question, do I need to be used? Am I, is God wanting me to be used in this person's life for His glory and to, for their provision? How can I help? What can I actually do in this scenario? And I know it's a, tight, it's a hard line, right? It's, it's, you're not always able to act. You're not able to do. You probably shouldn't always act. But we need to be open to that. We need to be open and say, what, what, is God, what might God be requiring of me? Because sometimes you and I may be the way that God wants to provide or answer another person's prayer. Maybe the way he's going to answer your prayer by you and I acting. I, I think about this all the time. You can pray about having, a, having better stewardship of your money every day and never, never accomplish it. God's going to give you the option and the wisdom to sit down and do a budget, right? And be a good steward with that. You can pray all day long for, for you know, the, the, the right spouse to come along and be, be the spouse you want them to be and have all these things that are checked off this list. But until you're ready to be the right person for that person, God's... God's not going to see any action there. You're not going to go get that spouse. There's, there's faith, and then there's faith with action that says, I'm going to let God invade. I'm going to let him re renovate. I'm going to let him do something in my heart that may cause me to respond and be the answer to the prayer I already offered. That's so important for us to get that we might be the answer to our own prayer. We could definitely be the answer to somebody else's prayer. How many grandmas do you think are praying for their grandkids? All of them all of the grandparents, right? And sometimes, and, and for my grandma, she, she was just all about sharing Jesus with me, all about that. And for other grandmas, they, they don't have that interaction with their grand, grandkids. And I remember my, my grandma actually was praying for other grandkids, the other people's grandkids, right? And wanting them to know Jesus and just praying and praying. And, and it's so neat to see the stories of how God answered those prayers. But it was because someone said, I'm, I'm not just going to pray, I'm going to actually say, I'm going to do something about it. Here's the third thing, the third appendice. There's joy and righteousness in following the Lord. Can you believe that? There's joy and righteousness in following the Lord. I love that he's given us direction. I love that he's given us his word, that we can go to it and say, this, this is what he said to do. This is how he said to act. This is how he said we should be. This is what we should look like. It, it's so neat. To, it's, it's neat to be able to even be able to meet other Christians, Christ followers, who have, have embraced God's word and embraced God's, God's law and, on their heart. And they, they live in a way that, that points to Jesus. And when you meet them, like, hey, I know these are my people. 
This is just, this is how we are. This is, and God wants to set us apart as this pure and spotless bride that's his church. That we should be, we shouldn't, we're all different, right? We all have differences in our lives. But we're more similar than we are different because of Jesus Christ and because of what he's called us to be. There's joy and righteousness found in following the Lord. Ruth chapter 1, we see what happens here, that, that there was originally judgment. Like there was a people, that the book of Ruth started in the time when the judges ruled or during the time of the judges. And we found out long earlier in the series, right, that during that time there was no king in Israel and people did whatever they wanted, whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. It was anarchy. It was a mess. And, and what we found is that, that God, whenever, whenever we're indifferent to God's word, to God's charge, to God's instruction, we'll find ourselves at odds with God. Does that make sense? I, w- I want to get this down on a parent level with you, or a relational level. Whenever you and a buddy, or you and your, let's say your parents, or your parent and your kids, whenever you disagree, and there's, a, there's like a hard heart there, and like, I can't, I can't agree with that, I can't do that, I'm not going there, you're wrong, I'm right, or we all say that back and forth. Here's what, the dinner table doesn't look healthy that night. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you can't sit at the dinner table and pretend it's all okay. I I love you so much. It's so great. When your heart is hard and bitter and indifferent, there is a relationship strain there, isn't there? So when we're indifferent to God, there is a relationship strain between our heart and His. And we can't pretend and sit in church, oh, that's all good. We're on good terms. No, you're not. And, and Israel was not at the time of the judges. There was judgment upon Israel. There was a famine in the land. God said, get your act together. You, you're indifferent to everything I'm saying. I'm, I, there's judgment here. Sure, I still love you, but I, I can't leave you this way. That, that's not love. I want you to be obedient to me. I want you to, to be my people, set apart for my glory. So there was judgment there. But, but what happens is, is we saw after 10 years that Naomi was away. We saw that, that the famine was lifted. And here's what happens. When, when repentance happens, when people humble themselves and say, okay, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I need to, I need to sh- shape it up here and straighten up, I'm going to listen to you. When our indifference to God changes and goes away, our closeness to God gets better. That the relationship with God gets better. And, and judgment is lifted. Consequences are lifted. It's like that with my children even. I mean, I love my children. I, I love them to death. And, and when there's disobedience there, that you, can, you can see, you can feel the tension. You can feel that tension, even in a five-year-old in a, or a three-year-old, even, a, even in a three-year-old. You can feel the tension. It's not always on me, especially in a three-year-old. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant to say. But there's tension there. But as soon as there's compliance, as soon as a heart kind of melts, oh, there's joy there and love there and freedom there, isn't there? That's what we're looking for. So following God's rules is not a bad thing. It's okay to follow God's rules. It's, it's what he wants us to do. He wants us to follow what he said for us to do. And we see in, in Ruth chapter 2, we see after this famine's lifted, we know that there's been repentance because we see there's a, a, a guy named Boaz that's described to us. He was a prominent man of noble character. A guy who was faithful to God, to Yahweh. He, he greeted his workers with a, the Lord bless you, every day. That, that's how the kind of man he was. So we know there was faithfulness happening in Bethlehem. And then what, what we see, I want to show you this because there's this opportunity. I said earlier that, that Boaz didn't really understand he was the answer to the prayer he was even saying for Ruth until later on. And we see that there's a threshing floor where Naomi says, hey, go, go to the threshing floor, dress up, get your perfume on, go lay down by his feet after he lays down and goes to sleep. He'll wake up and then you can tell him, hey, take me under your wing, propose marriage there. This is the advice from Naomi, okay? I don't know what's going on, but that's what she said. So, so that she, she says to do that, and, and Ruth goes to the threshing floor, does as she says, lays down next to Boaz, and, and when Boaz, and Boaz wakes up and is startled. I want to show you this. Here's the scene in chapter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> it says, at midnight, Boaz startled, turned over, and there laying at his feet was a woman. It's exclamation point. It's, that's what it says. So he asked, who are you? And what are you doing? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Man, that's a startle of a lifetime, right? He's like, oh, and you think about the light bulb moment. Oh, I could be the answer to the prayer that I've been praying to God for Ruth. He's like, okay, and here's what he says. He goes on. So let's, let's think about that before that. He can be the answer to the prayer. 
Now, here's where you could stay faithful and continue being faithful, or you could go off course a little bit. He's like, oh, man, Ruth, okay, come on, let's go. We're going to Reno. We're going to go elope right now. Let's go. We'll, we'll go. No, let's go to Tahoe. Okay, fine, go to Tahoe. We're going to go elope right now and get this, get this going. And listen, but Boaz is an honorable guy. He found rest and he found blessing in, in following the rules. And I want you to think about this for even today's day and age. That, that's kind of an illustration I would use for today, right? A couple of young kids, they don't want to listen to their parents. The parents want to let them have them wait, go through premarital counseling, maybe talk to some wise people. They're like, no, we're so in love. And what they do, they go to Reno and elope. Right? The, the way it should be done, you go through the proper channels. And I, I love the fact for the old school kind of thing, right? If you're a dude and you've got a, got a gal you want to court, go to her parents. Say, hey, I, I love Jesus more than your daughter. And, and I, would, I would love the opportunity to, to court your daughter. Go ask permission. Go through the proper channels. Because I guarantee you, when you get the blessing, there is so much freedom in that. Right? When we go through the proper channels, there is blessing to be had. Then when it's time to get married, you go back and say, listen, sir, sir, ma'am, I love your daughter. She's amazing. Give, her all the, give them all the qualities, right? They already know about their daughter. I'm willing to love her and take her off your hands. No, I'm willing to love her for the rest of my life, right, and serve her only. Well, can I please, can I please have the privilege of marrying your daughter? And, and think about that, that moment right, right before the shotgun comes. No, right, right before the yes. That little heart and that guy's beating home, man. Oh, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? But when that yes comes out, oh, that blessing. That blessing there. That, that he knows he's gone through the right channels. He's done this the proper way. He served both his future wife and his parents, his, his in-laws well by doing it this way. Not just running off because they're, they're ready to go now. There's blessing to be had when we follow the rules. And, and so, yeah, Ruth and Boaz could have went and eloped and you know, done it the wrong way. But Ruth, that's not how Boaz is, is he? He wants that blessing. He longs for the blessing of being faithful to God. So what do we see? He responds this way. May the Lord bless you, my daughter, because you have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, men in your age group, right? Whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer. So he's going to pursue this. But here, he's even saying, here, here's the, the tough part. It's true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. There's someone else in line. So stay here tonight. And in the morning, if he, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. What, is, what does Boaz say? He says, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a faithful, noble guy. He, he, that's his character. And I'm going I'm to continue to be that person. I'm not going to change all of a sudden because a girl is interested in me. I want to be faithful to Yahweh. I want to be faithful to my God because he's always been faithful to me. And what he said is, I'm going to do this the right way because I know that God will honor that. And I, I'm going to do this the right way because if I know if I go through the right channels, I'm going to get a blessing. There's going to be joy. There's not going to be the tension of disobedience there, the tension of guilt or shame. There's going to be blessing that comes from that. So he goes to the city gate. And uh, he says to the Redeemer, the Redeemer just so happens to show up. It says, behold, the Redeemer comes, right? Naomi, he says to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, Moab is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those who stand here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do, uh, if you, but if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know. Because there isn't anyone closer than you to redeem it, except I am after you. I'm in line. So he says, "Hey, here's the proper channels. We got the witnesses here. We got the paperwork all ready to go. Let's let's figure this out the right way." And the the closer redeemer says, "I, I want to redeem it. Yeah, it's uh, great land. I'll, I'll redeem it." Then Boaz said, "Well, but on the day that you redeem that field of Naomi." You will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. So now there's a redemption thing happening here and a Leverite marriage thing happening here. And, and what Boaz is doing is saying, we're, we're God's people. We're going to be faithful to both of these things. Not just one or the other. We're going to be faithful to both of these things. He says, on the day you acquire Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself. Or I will ruin my inheritance. I can't, I can't do it. Sorry, the fine print's too much. I can't do it. 
take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. Oh, wow, he's passed it on now. And what does Boaz have? In all of his faithfulness to God's law and tradition, what does he have now? The blessing. The blessing and the freedom of the blessing. Not the burden of the guilt of doing it the wrong way, but the freedom of the blessing. And that's how it is when we obey God. Psalm 119 says this, How happy are those whose way is blameless. Happy. It's not just you better, this is not a verse that says you better follow the rules. That's not what it is. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all of their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. Here's the if only. I love this. Verse 5, if only my ways were committed. This is for you and I. If we would be committed to this. He says, if only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about your commands. Here's what this is saying. I messed up. I did something wrong. I end up laying down at night in my bed, and all I can think about is the error in my ways, the guilt that's, that's running over me because I'm not following what God wants me to follow. I know I'm doing something against what God wants me to do. That guilt just invades and pours on. So how do we get rid of that? Well, we, we commit ourselves to keeping God's law, His standards. I want to do what God wants me to do. And then I'll have freedom from that. And he goes on in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. There's an overflow here. From an upright heart, right? Upright, correct, righteous. I've worked hard to, to stay in line with God. And that's where my praise comes from. I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. The psalmist is saying, I don't want there to be a, a gulf between us. I want it just to be close and tight. I want to know you fully, and, and by doing it, I'm going to follow your rules. I'm going to follow your statutes. I'm going to honor you in every way that I know how. And when I don't, I'm going to repent and turn to you to get rid of the shame and guilt, to have the freedom, and ultimately to have the blessing, the blessing from God. Fourth thing, final thing today. We see that there is a legacy of faithfulness that is to be desired. A legacy of faithfulness is to be desired. And it's, it's easy to say that. And I, I think, think for you and I, I, I want to have a legacy for myself of faithfulness to God and faithfulness to my family and my people, right? I want that to be my legacy. But if we think backwards above us, right, because that's where the legacy comes from, here, here's how I know we all want to desire a faithful legacy. If you have had one in your life, if you have had people in your life that were faithful to God, faithful to you, faithful to encourage and support and disciple and grow you up, you are thankful every time you remember them. When you write your, your family tree, their names are like in the bold in the squares, right? The, the other ones might be like footnotes at the bottom. Like, ah, well, they, they, they were there. But this one, ah, I like this one. Their faithfulness there. So I know you desire it too. If you didn't have that in your life, you know how I know you desire it? Because you wish you did. Because at this point you're like, man, if, if only, you have those, those dreams, those times where if only my family, or if only my grandparents, or if only my great-grandparents had said something or done this, uh, you, you imagine, whoa, what could my life, my life or my family have turned out to be like? And you desire that legacy to start or continue with you. There's a desire for a legacy of faithfulness to be there. We see this legacy of faithfulness in, uh, in the book of Ruth and in Boaz, right? And, and this legacy of faithfulness goes beyond that. We see God's faithfulness, God's enduring faithfulness, right? From forever to forever. Starting in Genesis, then we go to Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. We see this happening here. It's all coming to fruition, especially as we stand back. Here's what happens. At the city gate, he says, yes, I'm going to buy her back. I'm going to be her husband. I'm going to take care of the land. I'm going to be the redeemer. I'll take, that, I'll take that on. And the blessing comes. And here's what happens. Chapter 4, verse 11. Look at what the people in the city said. The people in the city gate and the elders. All the people who are at the city gate, including the elders, said this. We are witnesses of what? Of the blessing. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. Faithful legacy, right? May you be powerful in Ephratah and your name be well known in Bethlehem. Powerful, faithful legacy. May your house be that, like that of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. The baby hasn't even been born yet. Right? The, the marriage hasn't even happened. The, the deal just got made at the city gate. Ruth may not even be privy to it yet. 
and the whole town is saying, you have been faithful to God. Now there is going to be blessing here, and this legacy of faithfulness should be extended to you. Not only does Boaz desire a legacy of faithfulness, the city is saying, we're excited to see a legacy of faithfulness here. We can't wait to see what God is going to do. Then in verse 17, we get down to that verse. It says, the neighbor women all said, a son has been born to Naomi. Right, so we have now, here's the baby. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So important now to look at this lineage and this legacy again. Look at this promise there. And you see this faithfulness. If you, if you go back, to, you look at Boaz. Where did Boaz come from? Well, he came from Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho, right? Didn't love God, did her own thing. It was kind of like when the judges ruled, did whatever. But there was action. She, she exhibited faith when the spies came in and she hid these spies. And she said, you know what? There's a God who's coming and I, I want to be on his team. I want to be on his side. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Yahweh. And, he, and she had faith in Yahweh. And, and the legacy of faithfulness was, was, was there. And it was transferred into Boaz. Look at the man Boaz became. Amazing. For, given his lineage, he's an amazing man. This faithfulness continues to trickle down. You may be thinking, it's too late for me. I've already made so many mistakes. I can't have a legacy of faithfulness. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. We have to get over our past at some point. We have to let God redeem and restore and make whole again so a legacy of faithfulness can go forward. So Boaz is faithful. And then he has a baby boy. His name is Obed. And what we see coming from Obed? Oh, it says Obed was the what? Father, grand, was it grandfather? The, uh, he was the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. Who's that? King David. He wrote half the Psalms, right? Most of the Psalms. He was a man after God's own heart. We're talking King David. We're seeing Boaz, prominent man in Bethlehem, good businessman, man of noble character, respected at the city gate. His grandson is the king of Israel. Two generations. A legacy of faithfulness should be what? It should be desired. Not because I want to be king, because I want to see God be king and see what God can do and how God can redeem. Legacies of faithfulness are to be desired. Faithfulness is, is letting God continue his actions, his conduct in our lives in accordance with his promise. We let him do it. God, have your way in my life. We want more of you. We want to celebrate that promise. We want to be obedient to his, to his covenant, to what he asked us to do. And then our faithfulness is also there in letting it overflow in praise. We proclaim his hesed love to the world. That's the next part of faithfulness. Faithfulness is proclaiming God's hesed love. Uh, Psalm 140, I read this last week. I want to read it again. It's amazing. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I mentioned that. It sounds like a good thing. We should do that. Well, no, it, listen. I didn't just hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. It's not just something. Oh, we're like this. You and I are like this. You might be like this today. Oh, Jesus means everything to me. He means so much to me. But it's only for me. That's, that's hiding righteousness. God had an amazing, hesed, enduring love from forever to forever for you and for me. How dare I hide that from the world? Because I did not conceal your constant love. That's a hesed love and truth from the great assembly. See, we should have a desire in this faithful legacy. We should have a desire to proclaim his enduring love. You know why? Because we are never owed grace. But we should always be in awe of grace. And when we're in awe of something, we proclaim it. And we live for it. And we let God and God's love rule and reign in us so that others would see him too. Today we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Actually, I'll ask those who are serving the Lord's Supper to come forward and the worship team to come back up if they would. We're going to be serving and, and sharing and participating in the Lord's Supper. And, and I, I love this passage in 1 Corinthians. We're going to read this in a minute uh, during, during our time. But I want to read one little verse from this passage first. It says this. It says, For as often as you partake, right? As often as you and I partake and share in the Lord's Supper, the elements here, the bread and the juice, as often as we partake, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. There's that proclamation, right? 
that we would be proclaiming the Lord's death. God, what he did for us, the Hesed love of God, should be on our lips and on our tongue and in our actions every day. Amen? And today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are not proclaiming anything about us. We are emptying us and saying, I am a wretched person. I'm a dead dog. Like Ruth said, why would you treat me like this? I'm just a foreigner. Because by God's grace, he's taken strangers and aliens and made them family. But only by God's grace. So we celebrate today. We celebrate humbly. We celebrate empty. We celebrate knowing that, that God has done an amazing work in us that we could never accomplish on our own. The way that we do this in our church is we, we have these guys pass the elements out. And what we've done is we have put them in, in a, a double cup. There's two cups. You'll grab both. When you pull them apart, there's bread on the bottom and juice on top. Just grab the top rim. Don't try to squeeze and pull. Just try to pull it out, okay? And uh, hold on to that. We, we'll pass it all out to everybody, and then we will, we will pray over the elements and partake together uh, as a church family. If maybe you're not a believer, maybe you haven't expressed faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But this is for those who have. And so what we'd ask, if, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're still checking things out, we just ask that you would pass the plate on to the next person in line. It's, it's, it's for those who have really understood the blood and, and body of Christ. And, and some children aren't ready to do that either. So you, you make that decision as parents as well. But we'll pass the elements out and we'll, ask, we'll, we'll sing a song together uh, during that time. But be contemplative. Think about the depth of God's hesed love for you. Think about how far he went on that cross for you and for me that we could be free. All right? Shines bright. 